Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. If you know me, you know how obsessed I am with live performance. To me, nothing replaces being in a theater and the lights going down and the orchestra starts to play and that first moment of magic. And I know the way I feel about theater, some people feel about sports or opera or dance or comedy or food. And what if there was a place that you could go and find out which live events are going on near you that night, and then for a discount price, you can get off your couch, put down that clicker, and experience the magic that is live performance. Well, there is a place, goldstar.com. You just go to that website, you type in your city, and every amazing live event will be listed at discount prices. Theater, dance, comedy, film, food, concerts, sports. No more staying home. You are going to go out and build memories and experiences that expand your mind and heart through live performance with goldstar.com. Goldstar is in 26 cities around the country with over 8 million members already signed up to find out what event is going on near you. So go to goldstar.com. Get out of your house and build memories that are magic for you and your family. Expand your mind, expand your hearts. Go see live performance by using goldstar.com. Tell them Alana sent you. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Alana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Little known fact about my episode today, it was recorded live at Notre Dame University in front of their studio audience filled with incredible young artists, future artists of the world. And my guest is Dominic Famusa. He starred on Nurse Jackie and Homeland and Goliath. Some of his film credits include most recently The Report with Adam Driver, 13 Hours, and the Netflix film with Jason Momoa, Sweet Girl. On stage, he made his Broadway debut in Wait Until Dark. Other theater credits include Stage Kiss and Passion Play and Fault Lines and Tape. And I'm so honored to present this conversation live at Notre Dame with special guest Dominic Famusa. Enjoy. This is such an honor for me to host my podcast here. Uh, We have been a part of a little documentary that's been filming all weekend. Uh, It's called First Time Fans, and we really are living the dream of being first time fans. Has everyone here heard of or seen the movie Rudy? Which is such a big part of the history (laughs) of this school. So it makes me happy to know that even this generation of students uh, still knows what that is. Is it required? Are you like? Is that part of like? Part of freshman studies 101. Yeah. So 
When I think of my guest today, Dominic Famusa, there are some through lines to that movie that in some ways, and this wouldn't be true for everyone I interviewed, but Ted read a bunch of Dominic's um, credits. Two things you should know. People Magazine voted him one of the hottest men in comedy. So that doesn't happen every day. Uh, and he was also the quarterback of his high school football team. And I think in getting to know him, I don't know when we disclose this little known fact, I'm married to Dominic Famusa. Uh, and it's our anniversary today. And we chose it to spend it with all of you. So thank you. Um, I think there are a lot of ways in which knowing you as I do, admiring your work ethic in the way that I do, and we met working together, so I got to see it before I knew that I was going to marry him. There are some sports metaphors or ways that I believe you're having been an athlete maybe still influences how you look at work today, Rudy, Felusa. Yes. <laughs> um, can you talk about that? And then we can get into specific jobs and things <clears throat> you've loved doing and ways in which you can advise us on how to live an artistic life. But that's a long preamble, and now it's your turn. Okay. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, uh, I played sports my whole life growing up, and there is definitely, in my opinion, a correlation between the lessons you learn being on a team and the effort and, and work ethic you put into that world of practice and and uh, you know whatever whether it's lifting weights or you know however you take care of your body and your mind getting ready to um, to compete and uh, obviously when you're an actor or an adult in any you know creative field there is um, it's it's there's competition not not directly against another team or another person but sort of the competition of uh, of being uh, in an environment and in an arena that is very difficult to uh, to make your way and so I I do rely I, I go back to those moments where like okay it's you know it's the fourth quarter we gotta we got to suck it up here. We're, you know, we're, we're gasping for air. We're, we're losing the audience. <laughs> They're not laughing at all. What's um, happening? But, no, I mean, I think the work ethic and, and sort of, uh, you know, Mike, uh, who's, who's filming us today, and our good friend, you know, he could speak to this too, about, you know, you put in, uh, you put in the time at practice and, and it pays off in the game. And that really is true of, of anything you do, whether you're, you know, uh, in business or arts or whatever the, the work is. But I think the the lesson of Rudy, I mean, it's, you know, we sort of, it's sort of become a cliche, never give up, never give up. But it's so true. It really is, it really is important to, to remember. And, uh, and as an actor, you've got to remember it a lot because you're, you're dealt with a lot of rejection. You, you know, you're, you're always struggling to, even, even as you progress in your career, you never feel talk to any actor I don't care if he's if he or she has won an Academy Award there is that moment where they feel like they're never going to work again and it's it's just absolutely inherent in the process so so when you when you're in those places and you think about how am I going to get through this you, you can draw on those experiences and and I also want to reiterate what Alana said about about the community uh, that you're building it's it's absolutely crucial to um, to challenge each other to be there for each other to um, support each other and uh, and without a doubt, you know the friendships you're making here um, will serve you the rest of your life. Life and whether you and if you go to graduate school, that'll also be a part of it. And your initial jobs out of school. I mean, I, the people who mean the most to me are people I met when I was around your age. 
you know, the, the early 20s, even teens. And, um, and that's, that's definitely the case for most people I know. So at some point you decided, because I think that you had an opportunity to play football as an undergraduate, you were kind of like, I mean, I've had the pleasure of going back to your small hometown with you, and it was a big deal at that point in your life. Your yeah. position as quarterback, especially in small towns, you feel like a little bit of a celebrity in that fishbowl that you're living in. And then you went off to college where you thought you were going to play football, and something happened when you met other quarterbacks from other teams <laughs> at this new at this new college where it wasn't just well, you yeah I mean, and what happened my, well that's just my personal experience i was yeah. i was not the you know i mean i was playing division three football it was nothing like notre dame but i was uh even at division three i learned very quickly that i was not the star athlete that i thought i was but you had been an actor in high school also so you were one of those kids who could be in doing both yeah i was lucky i mean i got to do uh, both in high school and college i got to do everything like i went to a small liberal arts college where um, you know, you could major, I majored in political science, we called it government, and I thought I was going to go to law school, and um, most of my friends did go to law school, and um, I got to be about a junior in college, and I realized that if, you know, I was also doing the school play because they didn't have enough students, so you could be in whatever department you were in and then be a part of the arts. Wait, can I just say you're something? So yeah. you're in school, you realize, and I can't imagine you thought you were going to be a professional football player no. anyway, but that got you to college, which was great, and opened up doors for you. You started doing plays. You thought you were well, going to be... Well, I was doing be, plays in high school. I, was I doing, know, yeah. I know. I'm just saying in college. You started doing plays, and there was a moment where college was ending, and you thought you were going to go to law school. What made you decide to pursue a life in the theater instead of going to law school? And are you sorry? Uh, <laughs> I'll answer the first question, the last question first. No. Okay. Um, there's just something uh, that clicks in a person. And maybe it's clicked for you already, and maybe it'll click in five years or even ten years. You're very young, and it doesn't need to click right away. But I think you realize that there's, there's something you're meant to do. Or at least meant to try to do. Yeah. That's the key. So, you know, I, I say, say to young people all the time, it's like, it doesn't really matter if it works out or not. You, you need to go through that experience and you need to go for whatever it is that's, you know, keeping you up at night or in the back of your head going, oh, I really want to try, but I, I'm worried. And you know, it's, but if you're worried, that's great. You need to go after things that, that you aren't sure about, but feel very passionately connected to. And so that's how I felt about acting. Knowing you as I do, knowing that you didn't come from a family that could financially support your dream, that it would be on you 100%, which is scary. I mean, it's scary to pursue a life in the arts, even if you're a trust fund person. But I'm saying, knowing that it was going to be all on you, um, what gave you the confidence to go I'm going to try this. Well, I think, I mean, the inverse of that is true as well. It gave me freedom because there was no expectation. I mean, I, I didn't have any sort of standing to lose. I mean, I, you know, my, my, I come from a big family. My, my dad was a very hard worker and he did okay, but he couldn't, you know, pay my way through graduate school or after that. So I was sort of on my own. And, um, and you're one of 10. I'm one of 10. And it was, it actually was liberating. It was like, I don't need to worry to keep up a standard of living because I don't have that standard of living. <laughs> you know, like I could, I could share my apartment with, you know, I could share my three bedroom with five other guys and I could, you know, I could wait tables and I could, I could do whatever I had to do to sort of get by. It didn't really bother me. I didn't give it a second thought. And I just was very focused on what I wanted to accomplish. And, and what did you think it was going to be? 
What do you mean? When you decided, I'm not going to go to law school, I'm going to be an actor. How old were you at the time? When this kind of moment? 20, 21. What, when you kind of looked at like, what did you think it was going to be? I imagined having something of a life like I'm having right now. Uh-huh. I mean, I knew I would, I knew it would be hard uh-huh. and I would struggle and it took many years. To... But were you thinking I'm going to have a life in the theater? I'm going to be a television well, that... actor? Like what did you no, want? No, I mean, you know, I came from the theater. All I did was plays. I mean, I never, I, I got my SAG card when I was 29 years old. I, I had never done film or television until then. So for 10 years, all I did was theater. It's all, and, and to this day, I was just saying to Mike, this space is is my space. I, this, this kind of, this environment makes me happier than anywhere else in the world. I love being in a theater, um, whether it's filled to capacity or, or equally enjoyed sitting alone in the theater. Mm. I, it's, um, it's very spiritual for me. I, I, I just, I love it. So, so, you, so that's all I knew. I knew theater. That's it. Somehow, I know you did regional theater. You made it to New York and you made your Broadway debut in a play called Wait Until Dark with Quentin Tarantino and Marissa Tomei. That's like a big deal. Were you familiar with either of those names before you were cast? Yes. <laughs> so yes, I was not living under a rock You were in not New under York City. a rock. Um, that yeah, must it have was... been very heady. Quentin Tarantino, I mean, women love him too, but like every guy I know went through a period where they were obsessed with Quentin um, Tarantino movies. Without a qu- no, I mean, I was that guy. Reservoir Dogs changed my life. Did you tell him that? Uh, yeah, yeah, he didn't care. <laughs> um, no, Quentin Tarantino. Like I, I mean, but Quentin Tarantino. I knew, and I'm, I'm assuming he's the same guy. He was a very nice guy, very fun to work with. He would have us over to his apartment, and we would talk movies. And he would. He has such an encyclopedic knowledge of film that you know you can't keep up. It's like what? What are you talking about? Um, and I thought I was in the same business. I'm yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Um, and you know, and Marissa. I mean, yes, of course they were big stars, and it was it was pretty heady. I was uh, I was freaking out. How did you, are you freaking out right now? I'm freaking out right now. I know, I can tell. Um, How did you get that job? I auditioned. Okay, we're done I, here. We're it's done. so great Thank to you see you guys. Thank you um, for being here. No, you know, I mean, I got an agent, but I, 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 it took me a while to get an agent. All these things, they take time. And sometimes for some people it happens quickly, sometimes not as quick. But I had been in New York only about 18 months by the time I got that gig. And so I, that was fun. That was fun. And then I did this mistake that a lot of actors make. So, you know, it's so crazy. Actors are crazy because we think, oh, we're never going to work again. And then when we do get a job like that, you think, oh, man, I made it. <laughs> and then I, I was literally unemployed for six months after that show closed. Mazel tov. Thank you. Does everyone here at Notre Dame know what that means? <laughs> um, what's the equivalent in Gaelic to mazel tov? Is there one? Like, how do you say? Why what's do you the think toast? they speak Gaelic? Slancha. 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 on the getting that Broadway show. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, you auditioned. <laughs> yeah. You're with. And auditioned on stage with Marissa. So that was equally like that was. Was that post my cousin Vinny? Oh, yeah. So you're like. It was in, this was 1997, 98. Yeah. So you get that job. It's incredible. With two people who you know, when you admire Well, there's one other person, Stephen Lang was in it. And Stephen Lang, I don't know if you know who he is. He's not as famous as those guys, but a very, very good actor. And he was very generous. He would, we would sit in his dressing room after the play and drink wine. And I just ask him everything I wanted to ask Uh him about being an actor. That is always how you've been. 
Yeah. Curious. Yeah, but that ties into what we're talking about. I mean, that's you've got to build the community, guys. You've got to seek out the people who are doing what you want to do and pick their brain mm -hmm. and don't take no for an answer. Like, bug them. Like, don't be crazy. I mean, don't stalk them or anything like that. But, like, you know, I, 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 I worry sometimes in this age of social media, it's like, you know, I, you know, you, I know you, I don't know, you can DM or whatever, but, but you know, like, like, Grandpa. I'm just saying, the way you do it is your business, but find these people and ask them what the hell they're doing. That's what I'm saying. Yes. So that's what I did with Stephen Lang. Yes. And you did the Marissa equivalent of DM'd him. You tweeted at him yeah. in his own dressing room with him. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's true. I mean, the remarkable thing about being on Twitter is that now, anytime anyone in the world is doing a high school production, of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. They will tweet me or DM me and ask me about Lucy and I will answer them. Yeah. And the idea that when I was doing that, there was no way that I could have met anyone who had done what I did no, or you came before you me. No, you would have gotten a letter in snail mail. Maybe, snail mail, anyway. yeah. No, you, that's what I did. Like I wrote a letter to, uh, I went to the University of Illinois for graduate school. And can we say that? Can Angley. we say another college while we're here? No. I guess we can. You can edit it out. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I, Ang Lee is a graduate of the University of Illinois, and I wrote him a letter, and I said, I'm a young actor. You know, I didn't care. I was like, I'm a young actor. I'm in New York City. Can, can you meet with me? And, and what did he say? And he wrote back. And, and? He, and he said, uh, I will, you know, I'll have my assistant reach out when I have a free afternoon. And I forgot about it. And it, I think it was literally like over a year later, I get a call one day on, uh, I didn't know it was before cell phones, but I got a call on my voicemail that she used to call it to. To get your messages. To get your messages. And, uh, and it's Ang Lee's assistant saying he had a, has a free hour between two and three this afternoon. Come on down. And crazy. I did. And That's I sat crazy. with Ang Lee. And you know what? You do that every time an yeah. actor when people reach out to, to me, you. I do do that. Yeah. So one of the big things that happened uh, since I've known you is you had the dream happen, which is you got a long-running television show in the place that you lived, New York City, meaning you didn't have to pack your bags and be away from your family to do the job, co uh, starring opposite Edie Falco um, in a show called Nurse Jackie. And that was uh, a show that had a very long run. And there's no one on the planet who doesn't know who Edie Falco is. Well, that's not true. But the most, people, <laughs> most people do know who she is. <laughs> I'm just saying I've met people who don't know who Edie Falco is. Okay. Well, I haven't met anyone. <laughs> what was it about working with her that you have kept with you? She had done, you had done a tremendous amount of television. She had done a very long running series where she got to play the same character for a very long time yeah. as Carmela Soprano. Iconic. Iconic. She is now taking on this job to sort of reinvent herself. And that's a perfect example. Edie felt like, oh, everyone sees me as Carmela Soprano. And I interviewed her on this podcast and she talked about after The Sopranos, every single script that got sent to her was some version of Carmela Soprano. So there's this very limited perception of what you can do. If you do it really well, people want you to keep doing it over and over again. So she took on this job of this ER nurse named Jackie, who was sort of both um, an angel saving people and killing herself by taking drugs at the same time. You played her husband. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always curious about what it's like working with people who have uh, a crazy amount of success when you meet them. 
And what was it like working with her? And what are things from her that you took with you to your next job? Well, Edie is uh, a very down-to-earth, generous, normal person. And, and the biggest thing I would say about working with her is that it felt all of what you've just said is true. And that's why it's all the more remarkable that it felt like just another gig. I mm -hmm. mean, she is extraordinarily talented. But when, you know, it's been my experience with very few exceptions that the most talented people in this world are actually some of the nicest and some of the most generous people because they have nothing to prove. There, there's no ulterior motive. Like, you know, like we've, we've, we've been lucky enough to work with and meet many, many talented, famous people. And almost all of them are great people. I mean, I, 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 I know that sounds hard to believe, but it's true. I mean, you hear these horror stories of bad behavior in Hollywood and whatnot. But if you really... Um, I don't know. If I, I, I think the people I truly respect, for the most part, are not, are not in those conversations. And what was she like? Would she come to set? And then what would happen? <laughs> well, she, she, you know, I always say the, the, the tone of a set is always set at the, from the top down. So if the number one on the call sheet is a cool person, then you've got a cool set. So, like have the crew, the cast, yeah. everybody's like chill. Right. And that was very true of, uh, of Nurse Jackie. And... Uh, it's been true of many other sets that I've been on. I mean, um, you know, when when people come onto a set as a guest, they can pick up on that vibe almost immediately. So something that you don't know about Dominic that I'm going to share because it's little known facts is that Dominic did a movie called 13 Hours, the real story of Benghazi. The what was Secret the Soldiers, the Secret of, Soldiers Benghazi. of Benghazi. And when he did that film, he went to train with real Navy SEALs and Marines. What was remarkable about that job is that you did get to really become friends with the, the survivors of that ordeal in, in Benghazi. Yeah. Uh, the people you did train with, um, you feel a tremendous uh, respect and kinship with people who are in the military. You're often called upon to meet with, go to, and support that world in yeah. all sorts of ways. To me, that's just an example of getting so invested in something that it sort of becomes a part of your life, surprisingly, mm -hmm. um, since there was nothing military about your personal background and that well, wasn't ever something you were gonna do. Not for me personally. I mean, right. I have, I had, my uncle was in Vietnam and I have some family members who are military, but um, yeah, I mean, that's a perk of being an actor. You get to immerse yourself in these worlds and yes, you're absolutely right. I, I, developed a close relationship with many of them and and remain good friends with them and i i respect them i mean you, know, you guys know i mean these people are risking their lives uh to protect our country and and it's just a such a generous and sort of it's an you know you say thank you for your service well you know that's i mean that's the highest level of service you can give so um yeah it's uh, it's been an honor to even be begin to be a, a, a you know get get to Hang a out support system yeah. for the people doing and go, it. And I get to go to function sometimes and be a part of whatever. I'm going to actually, this, this, in about a month, I'm going to walk in the Veterans Day Parade in New York City. Um, I was asked to do that. And then, you know, stuff like that is just like, I would do it in a heartbeat. So are there other parts that have sort of, I mean, I guess we could talk about the play we did. And obviously that was a part that impacted your life quite literally, meeting, working together. But are there other roles that have made you think, wow, in playing this role, I'm so connected to it. There's something that feels so right for me. Should I have been this instead of mm. acting it for a short time? 
I mean, you were a bartender in Nurse Jackie. Were you like, I really wish I were a bartender <laughs> full-time? No, but you know, I, I, because I thought I might go to law school, sometimes uh, I wonder about that, and I wonder about, you know, uh, just uh, I'm, I'm curious about so many different worlds. I mean, I think that's why I am an actor, because... Uh, it allows for that. It does allow for that, if I'm lucky. Yeah. 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 And so do you love that? Do you love being able to visit all these different oh, totally, worlds and totally, places totally. and... Well, yeah, and you know, the preparation for these parts, I mean, we, there's, a lot, there's, a, there's a lot of actors who feel like the research they do is some of the best part of the job, and that's, that's definitely true. And it's true in the theater, too, like that the rehearsal process, you usually get four to five weeks of rehearsal process in a play, uh, which Alana is about to do a play at Manhattan Theater Club uh, this January, and, and I know you're, you're both thrilled and, you know, intimidated by having to learn I'm all running lines. lines in my head right now. Yeah. I haven't heard a word you said. Exactly. I'm just doing lines. But, but it's that preparation time that's so much fun. Yeah. So what, so I, do you mind if I ask you some, like, real-life boots-on-the-ground advice for people? There are people in this audience right now. Not all of them want to be actors, but I know this side of the room is certainly thinking about it right now. About being um, actors? Yeah, I mean, nice. they're doing, they're in Heathers right now, and, awesome. and there are performers in the room, and there will be people in this room who become on one side or the other of the camera in some way. Mm -hmm. um, can I ask you to share, how do you prepare for an audition? <laughs> What's your, what do you do? Well, if it's a film or television audition, the first thing I do is learn my lines. and. You know, that's not ideal because you'd like to tie the lines into like an understanding of the character and the world that you're that you're going to be a part of. But there's no time for that. I mean, you usually get a, an audition anywhere from 48 to 72 hours before it's going to happen. So for me, I just know from experience that if I'm looking down at the page while I'm auditioning, I'm not able to like be present and make, you know, interesting choices in the room and sort of let things seem organic, you know? I mean, that's, that's the trick, right? You wanna make it feel like it's all happening for the very first time spontaneously in that moment. But the truth of the matter is, you've practiced it and made plans and, and the skill is to make it look like it's the very first time you've thought about it. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I learned my lines and then uh, if there's more time, I'll study the script in a, in a critical way and really try to understand what the writer is, is going for here. But sometimes not. I mean, I've auditioned for things without having read the entire script, and I've gotten things that I then, before I accepted the job, had to go back and read, read the whole thing. <laughs> Hang on. I know I said I read it, <laughs> but I was lying. But, um, but you know, theater is a little different because there's an, here's the thing that's useful, actually. When you're auditioning for film and television, they're looking for a finished product. They're looking for you to come in and do for them what you would do the first day on the set. Uh, theater... It, it's an, there's an understanding, an unspoken understanding that the, that the, they will help you um, shape the, the performance and they want to be able to shape the performance. For a theater director, the, one of the biggest criterion is, is making sure you're directable. Like you will take direction well and, and, and adjust to, to their ideas and they will help you mold the character. That is not true in film and television at all, for the most part. I mean, there's, there's some great directors like Sidney Lumet and Mike Nichols and legendary people like that who, who come from the theater, quite frankly, and they'll, they'll, they'll try to shape a, a performance uh, with you if there's time. But most of the time in television especially, there's no time. I mean, you, you literally show up, you're expected to know your lines, and you go. And, and they've hired you because of what you bring to it and, and your personality and what you look like and sound like and move like. 
but there's no, it's not, that's not a, usually in that sense, it's not a collaborative effort. Whereas theater is, everything is collaborative all the time. Right. Um, which is one of the reasons why I love theater so much. Yeah. Um, so because we have an opportunity uh, to be in a room with all of you, I thought I had mentioned to Ted, it might be fun and don't feel pressure uh, to do a little Q&A with you guys if you have any questions. Um, um, you mentioned whenever you're talking about auditioning and getting roles and stuff that uh, sometimes like you get in a rut or like you mentioned being unemployed for six months. How do you, uh, how do you continue to process and grow even when you maybe don't have a sense of validation from your work all the time? It's a great question. You do a podcast. <laughs> well, um, I'll start by saying there are so many things you guys can do that are completely up to you. You can read, you can research, you can write, you can shoot. I mean, the great thing about your generation is you all know how to make movies. You all, know, you all have an iPhone. You all have, you know, skills that you've acquired in school and elsewhere where you can make your own content. And I encourage you to do that as much as you can. I mean, and I also, but I also like, make sure you're, um, make sure you're well-versed. Watch as much television, watch as much film, and watch good film. And I'll leave it to you to, to decide what that means. But, but do your homework. Like, be able to talk intelligently about, you know, um, who came before you. It's so important, and it really bums me out when I meet young actors and I say, you know, it's like Brando in, in Streetcar, and they're like, what? You know, and I don't, I'm not going to ask you if you know what I'm talking about right now. But there are people and projects that you need to know, in my opinion. Um, and if you haven't seen these things, you know, and you can talk to your professors or you can get a book, The Greatest Films of All Time. It's not rocket science. Watch this stuff and, and steal from them. There's a reason they're legends, because they did it so well. And, and your job as artists, whether you're a writer, director, whatever it is, actor, is to take what they've done and make it your own and give your own version of that. Anyway, that's how I feel. There's ways to stay busy, and you must stay busy. You can't sit around waiting for the phone to ring. One, you'll go crazy, and, and two, you won't get any better. And then the thing that I always talk about is being of service, that you can literally have $1 in your pocket. You don't have to be able to give money to a charity to be helpful. We're all asked all the time to donate to things, especially now. Your time is free and it's yours. And there are so many ways to be useful and of service in the world. And it's when you're not feeling great about yourself, it's funny, it's the hardest time to motivate yourself and feel like, oh wait, I do have something to offer. Every time I have felt like, wait, I'm not getting the feedback that you're talking about from my career, whether I go around asking people for coats that they don't use anymore, as simple as that. Someone needs a coat, you don't need that coat anymore. That one little moment of like, coat from one person to another, it's the great, I mean, I know I'm giving a very obvious example, but those are the things that for me as a human being continue. And I, and I find that I do that less the more I'm working, right? Like the time where I have the most to give, I get so busy with my job, I have to be equally sure that I'm continuing to be of service even when I'm getting all the things I need in my life. Not just like, oh, I know how to feel better. I'll go volunteer. But like just making volunteerism part of your life always is a thing that has really meant the most to me at the end of the day.
Um, so I always plug that. Yes? Um, do either of you have like a funny, like any bad audition stories? Like have you ever? I, I do. do. Could you want to, should I go first? Sure. This is my most humiliating one and it is one of my first auditions and it has to do with this idea of wanting to like be in control of something and I, it was one of the first plays I auditioned for. It was about a guy in college who had lost his mother. His mother had committed suicide, so he keeps trying to find women in this play to replace his mother. And it's called Women in Wallace, and it's all about the different women that Wallace hooks up with while he's in school. And I was auditioning for one of them, and in the scene I was auditioning for, Wallace is very nervous, and she's like, don't worry, I have a condom. That's the whole point of the scene, that he thinks he's going to get out of it. He's not really ready to be with anyone. And he thinks, well, of course, if I don't have a condom, but I do. My, the female character has one. So I put a condom in my pocket. I went and bought one, mortifying. I went to the audition. It's in my pocket. And I'm like, I have a condom in my pocket. I don't know what I'm thinking. Like, oh, let's hire Alana. We'll save money on props. She brings it like, for some reason, I'm like, I got this. And I get to the point in the play where I'm going to take out the condom and it gets stuck in my pocket. So the whole thing, I'm like, and now the lines go out of my head. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just keep going. But this was like, the special thing that only I was going to do that was going to get me this part. So the minute I can't get the condom out, the whole thing, like I'm sweating, my heart is beating. I'm like slowly talking myself out of the part, like everything. And I leave the room totally humiliated. I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back into the room. So I have finished my audition. I've gathered my stuff. I've left and then I decide I'm going to go back in the theater and they're in conversation and I'm like, sorry guys. And I take the condom out of my pocket and I hand it to the director and I'm like, here, I have a condom. And he just looks at me and he goes, thank you. <laughs> so. You go to the audition, and then you leave, and it's done. And you get on with your life. And if they call, amazing. And if not, you have to learn to love auditioning, because that's your job 99% of the time. But always have a condom, guys. <laughs> always. Honey, do you have a condom? No. Okay. Um, Does anyone else have a condom? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm so, I, I'm not even going to. That sounds very upsetting, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say my audition story. No. Uh, no. You, can. you know, every, everybody, every actor has horrible audition experiences, but she's right. You've got to learn to love it or at least deal with it because it's, it is a fact of life. And, um, True. Mm -hmm. If you're right for the part, you could literally. I, I was breastfeeding, and all of the milk started leaking out of me during the audition and I just tried to pretend like it, it was literally like something about Mary, like some ridiculous thing that you think they put tubes down my shirt because it would never happen that much in real life and it did. And I remember like, I'm just gonna keep going. I'm just gonna pretend. And I got the part for that thing. So you just never know. Okay. <laughs> uh, anybody else have a question for Dominic? Yeah. 
Um, and then you also mentioned that you did like regional theater. Um, did you first start out like immediately after undergrad going to grad school or did you like try it? No, I went, I went straight from undergrad to grad school. Okay. Yeah. So I was just wondering like if you would recommend that path or like, I don't know, any thoughts you have on I, you know, I, I think it's um, both both uh, routes are are you know viable and 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 good ideas. It depends on your personal uh, sort of. I, I enjoyed being in school and I I enjoyed having that sort of framework around me. And I didn't feel at the age of 21 when I finished undergrad that I was ready to go out into the world into this sort of amorphous environment and sort of just make it all happen on my own yet. I also didn't have, because I had been a political science major, I had no specific training in terms of voice and body and all movement, all those things that you kind of need. So that's why I thought, and my professors, my theater professors agreed with me, like, yeah, you should maybe go straight into an MFA. And, and, and I got lucky, I got into a couple different schools and I, I went to the University of Illinois and, uh, and it was great for me, I, I don't regret it at all. But I also know many people who take some time off they get real life experience, and then they go back to school. There's no one way to do it, really. Yeah. Anybody else? Did you ever consider being on the other side of the camera, like directing or writing, or have you always just wanted to be an actor? Uh, I directed one thing in college. I directed a, a one-act play, and I immediately knew that that was not for me. Yeah, it's just no. And to be honest, I never think about it. I, the only thing other than acting that I'm interested in that I am doing is writing. I'm writing scripts and trying my hand at all of that. Um, I was recently in LA trying to sell a television show with some friends who have more experience, some showrunner people that I know. Um, but yeah, no, I I'd never thought about being a director or producing. I wish I did, my brain just doesn't work that way. I think you have to have, that's a different set of skills and I just don't, I really don't, um, I don't think like that. I think you would probably be good at that because you can handle, you can juggle many balls at once. Keep, keep, keep things moving. Uh, sort of related to that, how do you have faith and how do you keep that faith that you are good enough to do the job, especially through rejection and the time when you're not getting work? How do you, because it's also one aspect of having a passion for it and then the other just practical aspect of being good enough. And it sounds like you recognize you weren't going to be a football player and not a director, but you know you realize you were good enough to sustain an acting career. Well, I think, I think that that happens at uh, different levels along the way. So like when I was in college, I was getting lead parts. So I knew I had something, something to offer because I was being chosen in that small world. And then as things went along, I'd get jobs, you know, like if I was doing a play at the Guthrie or, you know, wherever it was, we did a play at the Kennedy Center. Like there was enough validation along the way. And then at some point you you know, I was lucky enough to, to make a living doing it. And that's when you're like, I don't care what anyone else thinks. Like, I know what I'm doing. And, you know, and a lot of people won't agree with you. I mean, it's like anything else. It's like, you know, there are, I'm sure there are people who watch my stuff on television and go, ah, that guy's good. Like, what the heck? No way. Um, but there's enough people who have said yes to me that I've been able to, I've been lucky enough to keep going. I mean, I think at some point it's sort of like, um, you know, to be honest, guys, you're in school right now, and I know, like, Notre Dame is an awesome school, but there's going to come a time in your life where it won't really matter where you went to school because you'll be 45 years old and no one's talking about where they went to undergraduate or where they went to graduate school. You're, you're doing your career. You're in the middle of your business. And so uh, now I don't really look. I mean, I like the validation because it means I'm going to get hired. But other than that, I mean, I never call up my agent and go, well, why not? You know, what do they say? What's the feedback? Like, I don't want to know. I don't care. 
I mean, I, I try to stay strong in that way. But, you know, it's, 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 it's an inner voice as, as much as it is anything. You've got to just believe in yourself. And if it's, if it's what you really want, you're not going to take no for an answer. No, I don't think that, that varies no matter what field you're in. I think Dominic and I, part of what's always been important to us is telling stories. And we've always been willing, if we had to, do something else to pay the rent or pay our bills. It wasn't like, oh, if I don't make money at this, I'm not doing this. This was, um, it feels like a calling. Like everyone has their calling. And it wasn't about getting paid for it. It was really about this is when we feel like we are the most productive, um, offer having something to offer in the world. And there have been plenty of times along the way, luckily not in recent history, where we were like, okay, do we need to make other choices in order to keep telling stories and also affording, you know, to pay for camp for our kids? I mean, that's the reality. And we're living in a world right now, it doesn't matter what career. People get fired from very, you know, um, uh, all sorts of businesses at, at all levels, there's always the possibility that things are going to shift in whatever career you choose or the company gets bought and then half the people get fired when, you know, two companies merge. So I think at the end of the day, you know, it's funny, my parents are older. The idea of loving what you do never would have even crossed their minds. What a luxury to love what you do. You made money and then you found whether it was cards or cooking. You found things that gave you joy that had nothing to do with your career. So this whole idea of loving what you do feels like a very new concept. And, and in many parts of the world, it's still an unheard of concept. So I feel like what a luxury if you can find a way to do something that you love and pay your bills at the same time. Amazing. But if not, figure out how to make sure the thing that makes you feel like a whole creative, um, alive person is in your life. And it may come from your work and it may not. I mean, that's just everyone's story is going to be different. I feel like we are really lucky that for a while now, those two things have aligned, but it can, it can go in all sorts of directions. And I just think the important thing is to just be a person of integrity and find what you love and make sure there's space in your life to do it, whether it's your career or your passion. And it's really exciting to be in a room of very young people because everything is ahead of you. And I can't wait to see what you do and what you make and who you become and just be good to each other. That's it. Just all I say to my kids, and they're literally like, if we hear the word empathy one more time, please send us to boarding school. We cannot hear it again. But it's true. Like at the end of the day, do you have empathy for yourselves and for other people? And I feel like if you're living from that place, um, then happiness is available to you. And also just ask for help. I feel like we're all so prideful. I'm supposed to know everything already. And if I ask for help, then someone's going to think, I don't know, I'm not professional or I don't know. And I feel like ask for help. Don't you like being helpful? I love when someone asks me for help. It's like, you know what? Today I helped somebody. So please ask for help. You're doing someone else a favor when you do. Thank you for being here today. And this will be on the podcast at some point. So I don't know, subscribe. It'll pop up like Notre Dame, and then you'll know. Thank you for being Thanks, here. Guys.
Hey, everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Hey, I am so excited to share some news with you guys. For the last few months, I've been working on another project that I've been calling Little Known Facts 2.0, Stage Network, an incredible new streaming platform which promises to be Netflix for theater lovers, asked me to do Little Known Facts as a filmed series, a talk show, as it were, in front of cameras. And I really thought about it for a long time because the thing that's made this podcast so special is that all of my guests have been able to share deep, intimate truths about their lives because we are in this tiny, comforting confessional that is the podcast booth. And I really had to think hard, could I still deliver the same kind of intimate, raw, hilarious, and unique interviews if cameras were involved? But I think I figured it out. And I'm so grateful to Stage Network for allowing me to make my dream of sharing incredible friends with you in this whole new way. So I shot six episodes. The first one uh, is with Ben Platt. Other guests include Celia Keenan-Bolger, Zachary Quinto, George Salazar, Nikki M. James, John Slattery, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to share them with you. Stage Network really is an amazing place. Not only is it filled with incredible original content, uh, it has licensed so much theater-related content, documentaries and films and all sorts of incredible programming. I feel like I dreamed up a network and someone else created it and here it is. And the fact that I'm involved in even a small way with this incredible, incredible network is just truly an honor. So to that end, uh, to watch all of the content, including Little Known Facts, the series, go to watchstage.com. Enjoy, and I hope you like it. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Clark and recorded in New York City.